Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Revelation 2, verse 8 through 11. If you want to look along in the crimson colored Bible in the pew in front of you, it'll be on page 1028. 1028. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It's good to see you this morning. Rocky is an Oklahoma fan, so the, the Bibles are crimson today. I gave silent thanks that the Bibles could never be confused with burnt orange, so, so at least we have that going for us. Let me remind you very quickly that next Sunday morning, Brother Wes McAdams will be with us. That's the beginning of our gospel meeting. Be praying about this, be planning for it, and invite someone to come with you. The, the invitation of the meeting itself is come and see. And if you read the Gospel of John, that's exactly what people kept doing in that book. They kept saying to others, come and see who Jesus is. And every one of the lessons Brother West will be preaching will have to do with coming and seeing who Jesus really is. You need to know him better, and you have a friend or a loved one or an acquaintance or a neighbor who needs to know him better as well. So do your diligence this week. Think about somebody that you could invite, somebody that could benefit from learning more about Jesus and be a willing and a planning participant in our gospel meeting as well. In 1983, there was a bombing in Beirut, Lebanon. It was a military installation for our forces. A number of Marines were killed. Those who were not killed were transported to Frankfurt, Germany to a military hospital there. There was a young man that was a corporal in the Marines and he had been terribly wounded. He had bandages from head to toe and he had all kinds of tubes and he was not able to, to speak. The Commandant of the Marine Corps, Paul Kelly, paid a visit to the wounded troops in Frankfurt not long after that bombing took place. And as he came to this young corporal, the young corporal who couldn't speak, he motioned for someone to bring paper and a pen. He wanted to say something to the Commandant of the Marine Corps. He could have said anything he wanted but at great pain and with great difficulty, this young corporal wrote out two words, Semper Fi. That's the motto, if you're not aware, of the Marine Corps. It means in Latin, always faithful. That story made the news because that young man's resolve, that young man's conviction, that young man's courage 
served to inspire a lot of other people that were feeling kind of dejected. Semper Fi, always faithful. When I read the Bible, I find that Semper Fidelis should not be something that just Marines use as a motto. It ought to be something that Christians use as well. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 2, if you're not already there. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. I'd like for you to think as you consider who Jesus is, he's perfect in every way. And as a leader, Jesus is as effective and as perfect as any leader ever was. Jesus could lead people to places that they wouldn't go on their own. And that's exactly what Revelation 2 verses 8 through 11 is all about. He's leading his children, he's leading his saints to something that they wouldn't have chosen for themselves otherwise. Look if you would at Revelation 2 and verse 10. Do not fear, Jesus says, any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Jesus the shepherd, Jesus the leader is telling his saints there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be challenge, prison, suffering, all kinds of difficult circumstances. And then he makes a promise be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. We need, as the church in 2019 AD, to reevaluate our standard of success. I really mean that. We think that success, even if we don't articulate this or say it in these words, we think that success is about being big. Revelation tells us that's not what it's about. Success is about being biblical. We think that success is about being large and having nice budgets and comfortable pews and aren't we thankful for air conditioning? We think that success means that we have all those things provided for and it's comfortable to come and to be able to worship God and to work together and, and when our new renovations are finished then we're gonna be successful. That's not what the Bible says. Those things are all wonderful tools and they are blessings, don't get me wrong. But those things are not the standard or the measure of success. It's not about being large, it's about being loyal to Jesus Christ. And when you look at Revelation chapter two, verses eight through 11, Jesus the leader would say to us this morning, stop thinking that faithfulness and success looks like comfort. Stop thinking that way. Rather, I want you to think differently. I want you to think about faithfulness, especially when it's difficult, especially when it's painful. And I want you to see that's what spiritual success looks like. It's about being loyal to me. It's about being always faithful, simplify, especially when you're hurting. That's what I want from you in your faith. That's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? Think about Revelation 2 and verse 10 with me this morning. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. And I want you to notice first of all, the challenge. These are the words of Jesus, our high commander, our supreme leader. This is what he says to us. This is what he says to you personally. He says, be faithful. I want you to know that that word faithful has to do with allegiance, it has to do with loyalty. It has to do with affection. 
When a man and a woman come down the aisle and they stand before the congregation and they pledge their love for one another, they say, I will be faithful to you as your husband. I will be faithful to you as your wife. It's not just a responsibility that they're pledging. They're saying, I am going to be affectionate. I am going to be loving. I am going to be there for you no matter what. That's what marriage is about. And Jesus says, be faithful to me. It's about loyalty. It's about affection. It's about love. It's about commitment. It's about always being there. And I want you to know as you look at that word faithful, if you just went and did a concordance search, you would find that most frequently that word is used of God. I was amazed when I saw that in studying for this lesson. Most of the occurrences of the word faithful are not about you and me being faithful. They're about how God is faithful. First Corinthians chapter one, verse nine, God is faithful, it says. He's called us into a relationship with his son. God loves us. He's there for us. He's loyal to us. He will never fail in doing what he says. He's faithful. First Corinthians 10, 13 talks about temptation and it says, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He's always there in every temptation. He knows how much you can take and he always provides an opportunity for escape. If you'll just look for it, God is faithful. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 24, he who is faithful will keep you. There's a lot of assurance and there's a lot of comfort when we stop and think about the faithfulness of our God. The fact that he is always there, the fact that he is loyal, the fact that he stands with us and he stands for us and he's concerned about us. He's a faithful God. And God expects us to be faithful too. In response to his faithfulness, at the end of time, those who stand before him and have done his will, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, verse 21. In 3 John, verse 5, there was a man in the church who was showing hospitality to strangers who were brethren. His name was Gaius. And John writes in the book of 3 John to this man, Gaius, who's doing this wonderful service. He says, it is a faithful thing that you do, Gaius, for the saints and for strangers. So the challenge that Jesus has set before us is this. Be loyal to me. Stand with me. Listen to my word and hold on to it no matter what. Be faithful just as God is faithful. What does faithfulness require? Some essential elements. What do I have to commit to if I'm going to be faithful to the Lord? Some thoughts. I have to commit to pursuing and seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ. If I'm gonna be faithful to him, it's not just about my brethren, although that's part of it. It's about my focus on him and on having a relationship with him. In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, there are people standing before Jesus pictured on the day of judgment, and they're saying, Lord, didn't we do many mighty works in your name and cast out demons and all kinds of things in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. A relationship with Jesus is tied up with obedience to the will of God. It's about relating to him. If you love me, keep my commandments, he says. John 14, verse 15. It's not only about having a relationship with Christ, but it's also about having some personal convictions. Hold fast the things which you know to be true. Hold fast the faithful word. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. What do you believe? What do you think is worth standing for? You know, sometimes Christians get this thought in their head that, well, the elders have some convictions about things, and well, that's their, that's their issue. I don't know what I believe. The preacher, he stands for some things, but me, I could take it or leave it. If you, if you personally, if I personally am going to be faithful to the Lord, there have got to be some convictions in my heart that I'm going to stand for. You know what the definition of a conviction is? My definition. A definition of a conviction, it is something that you will swim upstream because of. It's something that you will stand even when everybody else is going a different direction. A conviction is something that causes you to move against the crowd. Do not follow a multitude to do evil, Exodus 23, verse 2. Now I ask you, what are you convicted about? And I might suggest to you gently that there are some issues in this book that we ought to have some real genuine convictions about. It's about faithfulness. What do you believe? What do you hold fast? It's about accepting responsibility, believing that into my hands the gospel is given. It's a stewardship, it's a trust, and I may be the only Bible that some people ever read. I may be the only contact with a believer that some people ever have. Am I going to be faithful and loyal to Jesus? Am I going to represent him honestly as a good ambassador for him? It's about trustworthiness. It's about dependability. It's about always showing up. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 2, it's about being faithful. How we need as Christians to think about the question, am I faithful to the Lord? I grew up in the Lord's church, always been around it, always been um, in attendance and things like that. I remember thinking when I was growing up, because of the way people talked, I remember thinking that faithfulness was just about attendance. I remember thinking that when I'd when I hear people talk about somebody and they say, oh, well, that brother's not faithful. And what they meant was, it was just code. It was, it was language that they used. Just meant he's quit attending services. I'll tell you something. Being a part of the Lord's body and assembling with the Lord's body is a component of faithfulness, but that's not all that there is to it. You could sit in the pew for years and years and years, and you could still be apostate in your heart. And there are a lot of Christians that have done that over the years. There are a lot of people that have done that. Faithfulness. Do I really know Christ? Do I really believe something? Am I really going to accept my responsibility to serve him, to be loyal to him? Be faithful. That's the challenge that Jesus gives us. And then in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he gives us a degree. Unto death. We don't think about it in those terms very often, but we ought to. In the book of Revelation, that is exactly what our brethren were facing. Some of them knew people that had been martyred. They had been murdered because of their loyalty to Jesus Christ. 
In Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, just a few verses down, Jesus talks about, calls one of their names, Antipas, my faithful martyr. You see it there? He was faithful until death. That's what I want my disciples to be, Jesus says. In Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, John sees a vision of people that have been martyred for the word of God. They were loyal to the gospel. They were loyal to the truth. Somebody didn't like that, and they decided they would put these people to death. That was the price they paid for loyalty to Jesus Christ. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, a similar scene. Those that had been beheaded for their testimony and for faithfulness to Jesus Christ. We need to tell each other stories today. Nobody's threatening to murder us right now. I'm thankful for that. The Bible says we ought to pray for our leaders that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives. First Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2. The Bible says we shouldn't long for persecution. That's not what we ought to strive for. But I will say this. We need to remind each other about the degree that Jesus demands when it comes to faithfulness. And one of the ways we do that is by telling each other the stories of men like Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen who did nothing more but stand up and preach a gospel sermon and they've stoned him to death. We need to tell stories about men like Paul who said at the end of his life, I'm ready to be poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And he said that in a Roman prison all alone. Everybody had abandoned him except the Lord who was faithful to him. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We need to talk to each other about people like Peter and about James, who Herod put to the sword in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're imprisoned. We need to talk about these people continually. And not only that, we ought to consider that there are places in our world right now today where Christians are being challenged with their very lives. We ought to pray about that. We ought to stand in solidarity with them when they're faithful to the Lord and to his gospel. And this is the price they pay. As God's people, we need to be reminded of these things because Jesus says, be faithful until death. As you think about the degree to which Jesus calls us, I have some questions to ask. Maybe nobody's threatening me with death this week, but I'd ask this question of myself regardless. Am I faithful in small things? He who is faithful in small things will be faithful in much, Jesus said. A small thing is a small thing, but to be faithful in a small thing is a big thing. Question, does Jesus mean more to me than anything else? I mean anything. And one of the best tests of that question is found in your pocketbook and your bank account when you log on. When you look at where your money is going, does Jesus mean more to me than anything else? question. Do I hold on to the gospel even when it's difficult? When I'm talking with my friends and they mock and ridicule the churches of Christ, when they say things about Jesus that are offensive, do I hold on to the gospel even when it's difficult? Am I faithful? Do I trust God even when it's lonely to do so? even when it's lonely to do so. Nobody else in my family stands with me. Nobody else in my workplace believes the way I do. I have convictions that make me look very strange 
and I've become isolated and ostracized, do I still trust God even when those circumstances find themselves in my life? Faithful unto death. Next, there's a promise. Look at Revelation 2 verse 10. Jesus never challenges people without accompanying promises. Did you know that? The challenges that you find in Scripture, they are always accompanied by a promise. And the promise is always of something far better, far greater than what you're giving up to accept the challenge. Always. Look at what he says. Be faithful until death, and I, Jesus, will give you something. What are you going to give me, Lord? I will give you a crown of life. In the Greek language, there are two words for crown. There's a word that means and goes very closely with the word diadem. We have a song in our songbook, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's a royal crown. It belongs to royalty. That is not the type of crown we're reading about in Revelation 2. The second type of crown is called a stephanos. A diadem, that's a crown for a king. Stephanos, that's a crown for somebody who has won an Olympic event. Nowadays, they give people medals. Used to be, in Paul's day, they would give people a wreath, a laurel, a crown. The one who won the Olympic event, he would receive a Stephanos. This is the one who has won, he's achieved, he's finished the race in first place. And what Jesus is saying is this, be faithful until death, I will give you a Stephanos of life. I will give you a crown of victory. This is not the only place in the New Testament that Jesus promises this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown, a Stephanos of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, Paul says, but to all those who love his appearing. See, Paul didn't want people thinking that the crown was just for one person. That's the way it worked in the Olympics. No, the crown of victory, the Stephanos, the victor's crown, it goes to everyone who overcomes, who is faithful until death. James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, a crown, a victor's crown. 1 Peter 5 verse 4 makes this promise to elders specifically. Those who rule well as elders, who show themselves to be shepherds that truly follow the chief shepherd, he will give a crown, a victor's crown at the last day. Jesus promises a crown to those who overcome. You know, we live in this world and it looks like we're failures to the world anyway. Looks like we're weak and we're insignificant. It looks as if we really don't matter much and aren't making much of an impact and much of a difference. And Jesus says, you stop worrying about all those things. You stop worrying about the way that people perceive you. All I'm asking of you, all I'm wanting from you is semper fidelis, faithful until death. You take care of that, saints. You do those things and you're rich. You're a success. You know, really, it doesn't matter at the end of time what the world has said about us. It doesn't matter what 
people have said about us so much. It matters what God says about us. That's what's important. And that's what this passage is reminding us of. Specifically, what must we hold fast? In Revelation chapter 2, people were being challenged, I believe, to give themselves to the state, to worship the emperor, to worship Rome. I believe that's what they were being challenged to do. And if they didn't do it, they didn't comply. If they didn't tow the party line, they'd be thrown in prison or worse. What do they need to hold on to? They need to hold on to their confession of Jesus Christ. He really is the king. What do you and I need to hold on to 2,000 years later as we look at the landscape and survey the challenges that face us? I'll give you four things to think about. Number one, we as God's people must hold on to the concept of the supremacy of Jesus Christ in everything. We live in a nation that is becoming more and more pluralistic, more and more religious ideas and views from all over the world have come and moved into our nation. That's wonderful opportunities to share the gospel, but you and I must be convicted that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There is no one that comes to God except through him, John 14, verse 6. We must believe that, and we must stand for that, and we must teach that. God's people must be faithful to the supremacy of Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostles said, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We need to believe that and teach it. Second, the uniqueness of the gospel. How many gospel messages are there after all? How much good news is there? Galatians 1 verses 6 through 8 tells us explicitly there's one gospel. And if somebody comes and teaches a different version of the gospel, it's not just that they got their facts mixed up and it's not just that they misunderstood. They are teaching something that is going to cause people to be accursed. That it's going to cause them to lose their soul. It might have a veneer of Christianity. It might look very similar to what you read in the New Testament, but if we start adding to the things of God, if we start taking away or ignoring commandments of God, we are not really being faithful to the gospel message. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2, don't add to, don't take away from the words of God, not in any way, shape, or form. Number three, God's design for the home. We need to be faithful to what the Bible teaches about that. Individually, congregationally, we have an obligation because God has given his word. He has given us his will. He has talked about what constitutes marriage that pleases him. He's talked about what constitutes relationships that displease him. And we must stand for what the scriptures teach according to these things. As God's people, it's about faithfulness. What must we hold fast? the undenominational nature of the church. When you read the New Testament, there was only one church. It was not a denomination. Now, I don't mean that to be offensive to anybody, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of people who have a very fuzzy concept in their minds about what constitutes and how one becomes a part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Be faithful to me, Jesus says. Stand for what is true and what is right and what the Bible teaches because this is an important concept. People will lose their souls 
thinking that they have obeyed the gospel and that they've been faithful to the Lord. And yet he will say to some on the day of judgment, depart from me, I never knew you. You've not done the will of my Father who's in heaven. We need as the people of God to remember God's standard of success is radically different sometimes than what we think is successful. And how we need to be reminded by passages like the book of Revelation, when we became Christians, we said to God, God, I want to be faithful to you until the point of my death. I want to be faithful to you, even if it means my death. Maybe you want to obey the gospel this morning. It's a serious commitment. It's a great responsibility. God says, come to Jesus Christ, believing in him because there's grace and forgiveness to be found in his blood. Repent of your sin, confess his name, be baptized for the remission of your sin. If you need to make that commitment, that relationship this morning, you wanna, you wanna start that relationship with the Lord, be baptized into Christ, participate in the new birth, John chapter three, verse five, we can help you with that. Maybe you'd like to respond and ask for prayers. Whatever you need, won't you come? All together we stand and sing.